and gore And sometimes a little more My Bloody Podcast <laughs> Good evening and good morning and good afternoon Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to My Bloody Podcast episode number Four, four, forty-four. Holy God, we've been doing this for forty-four episodes. I'm Brian Kluger here with my bloody podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and everything else. Uh, we're having a great show for you today. But the man who has been reanimated more times than I'd care to count. But every time he comes back from the dead, I just give him that many more kisses. Preston Barta, how are you? I'm good. And I come back better each time, not worse. Not worse. You come back better. It's the opposite of what's going on in our feature presentation, right? Correct. What is our feature presentation? Our feature presentation this week is the original 1989 Pet Cemetery. Very exciting. It's also celebrating. It's celebrating its, its 35th or 40th anniversary. 30th. 30th anniversary. Oh, my God. Um, it's out on 4K and uh, UHD, 4K, UHD, and Blu-ray now uh, as getting as well as it's getting ready for the new rebooted version coming out in theaters, which Preston saw and talked about a little bit last week. But we have a good show. We have lots of news, bloody questions, which were quite fun, bloody recommendations, and, of course, Pet Cemetery. talk about it. Because if anybody remembers that movie, there are some frightening parts in that film, right? Mm. Oh, yeah. So uh, let's, let's jump right into it, shall we? We shall. We shall. Okay, let's get in. Let, let's, let's talk about this fun-as-hell news story that I just – it just gets crazier and crazier every time I read about it. But Jim Jarmusch and Bill Murray – have made a zombie film called The Dead Don't Die, and it's coming out in June. And if we all remember, you know, Bill Murray was in Zombieland, and it was a whole funny bit. But this movie by Jim Jarmusch, who's an incredible filmmaker, making a zombie film called The Dead Don't Die. And the the cast in this film is unbelievably insane. Preston, what do you think? Um, I mean, I love Jim Jarmusch and, um, I liked the poetic, uh, aspect that he brings to his films. And so I've been kind of craving something that's not, uh, as, as loose as something like Patterson, uh, which I did love that movie. I thought this was his last movie that he did outside of dark or last narrative film. And so, yeah, I'm absolutely excited about him. Uh, getting into genre filmmaking uh, again here. And so, uh, yeah, absolutely. It's interesting. It's going to be so cool because Jim, Jim, what, what are the, what are your top two or top three Jim Jarmusch movies? Um, I, I really like Patterson um, just cause I, it got me thinking about life in a different way. Just, um, and then uh, probably dead man, dead man. Great film. Mm-hmm. Great, great movie. Did you like Only Lovers Left Alive? His vampire. I did. Uh, I I did. Um, it's not one that I've revisited since I saw it in theaters, but I enjoyed it from uh, like a visual perspective. Um, 
but it's not it, yeah it's not one that uh challenged me enough uh in such a way that i felt the need to like own it or revisit it much but maybe i should give it another shot yeah it was it's decent on a repeated viewing and also you have like coffee and cigarettes ghost dog the way of the samurai might be his best broken mm-hmm. flowers i mean these are all good movies and i'm just glad he's doing a zombie film because getting back to who's in this movie you have bill murray you have yeah. adam driver Tilda Swinton, Chloe Sevigny, Steve Buscemi, Danny Glover, Caleb Landry-Jones, which is uh, one of the kids from um, uh, uh, Stranger Things, uh, Rosie Perez, Iggy Pop, (laughs) The RZA, Selena Gomez, Carol Kane, and Tom fucking Waits is in this movie. And goddammit, I hope he's a zombie because he'd probably be the coolest zombie in the world, but Tom Waits, or even if he's killing zombies. I'm super excited about this. He's, it's basically all the people from his previous films are in this movie. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just, uh, I'm just excited about this, and like it's coming out very soon, and I really... I, and Universal and Focus Features are releasing it. I just... We, we, we're in a sea... A saturate, overly saturated sea of zombie shit, and this just this zombie film really invigorates and reignites the spark to me, at least. Yeah, well, it's cool when there's interesting filmmakers that tackle it outside of just uh, being a beloved property that's being brought to the screen, something like Zombieland Two or whatever, uh, Walking Dead. Uh, latest season or whatever it is it just it's just more interesting when you have like a really talented filmmaker uh coming in like like what the hell would it be like if uh scorsese or paul thomas anderson like all those would perk up my ears and so this one does yeah it is um it's i can't wait i can't wait (laughs) there we go and it's bill murray is a zombie lead star of his own (laughs) film you know if you don't know Bill Murray and how he does movies, you know, it's it's a it's a funny story in the Hollywood industry is that like he does not have a manager, he does not have an agent. You basically call like this one eight hundred or one nine hundred number and leave a message and pitch your screenplay and to him and he calls back if he's interested. So I'm I wonder if it's like, hey, remember when you were in Zombieland? You want to kind of do that again? <laughs> but it'll be me doing it. <laughs> I have no idea how they would pitch him. He's like, yeah, I'll do this. So I'm like, what do you think? Yeah. Um, some Somebody else does something like that, but I can't remember who it was. Uh, you just kind of call them in and do that. But um, okay. I mean, it's an interesting way to do it. I'm sure he – I don't know. He's just such a such a – very strange cat, but he makes it work for himself. Yes, he does. All right. Moving on. Um, Press and I just watched a new trailer uh, for the upcoming Godzilla King of All Monsters movie coming out, uh, you know, a few months. And it's a, it's a short trailer, uh, but we, I, it, it's a better trailer than what I've seen, and it looks fun. It's got all the Godzilla monsters in there fighting Godzilla set to the song Somewhere Over the Rainbow in a creepy way. What do you think? Yeah, I think it looks cool. Sometimes, uh, you know, you can look. I I didn't. I thought the first trailer that they released, the actual full trailer that's over two minutes long, uh, was good. But sometimes uh, showing 
a shorter trailer can uh, get you just as hyped because it's uh, cutting it down and uh, showing you the good stuff. And uh, I think we've commented on this before uh, when we saw that first trailer that, you know, we get a sense that there is more monsters in this one and it's not going to be as uh, boring as the first Godzilla movie, or I guess the 2014 Godzilla movie. Um, so just to kind of get that Power Rangers uh, Pacific Rim kind of vibe um, has me very excited that we're going to see some actual monster on monster action and the monster, the creature design is way more interesting than we've seen in a couple of years. Um, so, uh, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, check that out and notice at the very beginning of that trailer, they cut it in a way similar to Wizard of Oz, lions, tigers, and bears, oh my, <laughs> which, which is funny. Uh, so there you go, new Godzilla King of Monsters trailer coming out soon. Let's move on, uh, to a reboot, Another reboot, we've talked about this before, we even covered this movie in our feature presentation recently, talking about The Craft, the high school witch movie. Uh, There is going to be a Craft reboot, and I don't know, what what do you think about this? Um, I am excited about this. Uh, I think we even mentioned when we reviewed the craft that there had been long been talk about trying to get a a reboot up and going and there just had been so much trouble trying to make it work and the fact that we have blumhouse behind this and um a female director as zoe lister jones she did this movie a couple years ago called band-aid uh i didn't see it but i heard so many great things it was one that i really did want to see i think even shout factory put out a a release of it um so um all the talent looks good and i know jason blum uh took some serious backlash last year last october when um a lot of people have been commenting about how he uh, hadn't hired any female directors uh, to direct a horror movie. And so this is, uh, I guess, going to be his first foray into that. And uh, from everything I've heard about Band-Aid and uh, the talent that Zoe Lister-Jones has, I think it's good. And the fact that the, the storyline deals with um, four uh, teenage women, I think this would be a interesting perspective to have uh, with this reboot to kind of get something that's uh, a little more uh, genuine. Um, nothing against what uh, the director of the original craft did. He did, he did a good job, but uh, after seeing uh, book smart at South by Southwest uh, directed by Olivia Wilde, there's just like, there's more detail there. There, there, it just seems like there's like more of a passion and connection with the female characters that the director has with the characters. And so that translates very well. So I'm excited about this. And uh, the fact that we, like I, like I said, have Blumhouse behind it, who are very capable of producing great horror films um, like us and get out and so much more insidious. um, I am genuinely excited about this uh, craft uh, reboot. So um, I'm very anxious to see um, some some images and trailers and what the casting process is going to be, because uh, I think it's time for 
uh, the craft to get a good reboot. I don't know if they're going to set it in the 90s. I don't know if they're going to set it in modern day, but uh, I'm very curious to see how it will all unfold. Yeah, I am curious because, like Preston said, you know, this has been through the ringer, this reboot, because there was a different director. It was supposed to tell uh, more or less the same story set 20 years later uh, than the original, uh, but uh, more of a sequel. But this is a full-powered reboot, and let I mean, as Preston said, it's it's Blumhouse. It seems like they've got good talent. Let's hope for the best. And and it would be awesome to see some cameos in there by the original people as well. Yeah, but not in like a Ghostbusters answer the call kind of way. Correct, correct. We want we want something better than that. Something meatier. Yes. Uh, than, yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, there's that. So we'll, we'll definitely be updating everybody on the craft remake as more information comes available for sure. Uh, let's talk about the third Annabelle movie. This Annabelle, this spinoff movie has spawned three sequels and they all do very well, but there's a new, there's, there's new news, uh, about this Annabelle third film called Annabelle Comes Home. It's a good title. Yes, and uh, with the art they've released, it looks like Annabelle is up in the Warrens' house again, so this might be not... It might not be like a very early movie about it. It might be something closer to when The Conjuring happened. Uh, but it looks like James Wan is coming back to produce... Gary Doberman is going to direct, and Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga are going to be in the film too. So that's cool. Which is super surprising. Why? Why is that surprising? They've been in almost every other one. Well, they've been in The Conjuring uh, one and two, but they haven't been in one of these spinoff films yet. It, it always seems like you know. Well, I guess the first two take place. They're both prequels to before it, uh, before the doll ends up in their hands, and so. Um, I guess it's the necessary route to take, um, but I'm just kind of surprised that uh, the Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga's characters uh, what's their what's their characters the Warrens the Ed and Lorraine um, Warren yeah um, that they're expanding into these uh, spinoff characters, kind of making these uh, this whole universe a little more tightly knit together. Um, I think the fact that they have, and I like Annabelle Creation a lot. I thought that one is the best, easily the best one out of all the spinoff films that they've had thus far. It was great. Um, but it had a really good director behind it. And this one, uh, we have the writer of Annabelle Creation and a couple other uh, notable horror, horror films. I think he did. He wrote It, the most recent It film. Uh, not It Chapter 2, but uh, or maybe he did. I don't know. But he... Um, I imagine he didn't since he's uh, head into this one, but I, I'm curious to know what, what he'll bring to the film as a director, because uh, I enjoy the project that he's done that he's written for. But uh, after seeing the curse of La Llorna, which I brought up last week, um, which is a not, not too good at all. <laughs> A spinoff film in the Conjuring universe, but um, I'm hopeful that they'll find like these uh, other films, or I guess the Annabelle 
I guess the Annabelle films are the 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 more promising ones out of everything that they've done so far. Um, so I I'm I don't know what I'm trying to say here, but uh, I, I I'm just I am excited about this one. I think it's I think it's a good route to take. Yeah, it's a uh, it's pretty funny. And what what Gary Doberman said of <laughs> this new installment of Annabelle, I'll read it. He says it really picks up with the Warrens bringing Annabelle to the place where it can really no longer wreak havoc, which is their place, their artifact room. But of course, mm-hmm. it turns out she can raise hell there. It's basically night at the museum with Annabelle. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, that sounds fun because I guess like like just imagining uh, like her waking up all the other artifacts that they have in there, and it just becoming like this cabin in the woods type thing you know at the end where you see all the other monsters that are in there just the fact that it could go there is very exciting yeah that sounds super fun to me (laughs) i'm all in for that for sure um and i uh, another bit of news which i'm super excited about it because i've watched trailers i've you know, seeing what episodes are coming out. But finally, after talking about it for what seems like a year, um, the new Twilight, the rebooted Twilight Zone series is coming to CBS All Access from Jordan Peele. Jordan Peele, of course, doing Get Out and the recent Us movie. And Jordan Peele will be producing and possibly directing these episodes, some of the episodes, and as well as uh, being the, the host with the most as well, replacing Rod Serling in each episode. But it looks like the first two episodes that we will be getting uh, premiering next week will be the iconic Nightmare at 30,000 Feet, which is, of course, in the original one was... William Shatner when he sees there's someone on the wing. <laughs> Except every time we do it, we do an impression of Ace Ventura. <laughs> yeah, there's someone on the wing, something. Uh, and then in the the John Lannis's movie that was John Lithgow with the alien in the air on the airplane trying to bring it down. This one will star Adam Scott in Nightmare at Thirty Thousand Feet, which looks all sorts of cool and looks like they've added a bit more. More to it. It, just, it looks like it won't take place strictly on the plane, uh, which is cool. And then the other, the the other episode, I believe they will be um, talking about is called the Comedian, which stars Kumail Nanjiani, mm-hmm. uh, which. I don't know much about, but it looks like Kumail plays himself like a comedian, but it probably goes super horrific. But yeah, I'm excited. What about you? Yeah, absolutely. Especially after seeing us and digging into it like we did last week on uh, the 43rd episode of My Bloody Podcast. Um, Jordan Peele is just so right to be the person to bring this back to life because um, us very much is a very long episode or extended episode of twilight zone it has that sort of vibe to it and so now after seeing us and kind of still picking it apart and then still being amazed at the sort of details that it has um and that sort of wonder that we got from when we watched uh the twilight zone i mean i wasn't alive when 
it was on air, but it is something that I own and very much enjoy rewatching all the time that I, he, he really is Jordan Peele is just the, the right person to do it. And I'm so glad. And, um, I've read a couple of the reviews that have come out, uh, some people that saw it early and they're, they're all been pretty good. So, uh, that's promising. So I'm very excited to have, uh, to watch it, but I don't have CBS access. So I'm going to have to see about that. Yeah. Uh, you, well, I might have to give you my sign in code because I, I've had CBS access for a while and it's the only way you'll be able to watch it. Um, but yeah, it's, it'll, it'll be worth your time. I think CBS all access is either $5 with commercials or $10 without commercials. Highly recommend doing without commercials. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's good stuff. And plus on CBS all access, you get the Star Trek discovery show, which is <laughs> hella good and yeah. it's super high end. And then you have all of CBS's back catalog as well. So it's, it's crazy. But yeah, this looks good. I can't wait. I, one of my favorite shows of all time. Again, they got the love boat on there and everything. <laughs> the love, the love boat. Yes. So yeah, we'll we'll update you as soon as we see these episodes. Hopefully, very soon, um, we can talk about it all. Yeah. Um, and then I guess we're gonna have a couple of home video release announcements that uh, came out. Uh, first off, I didn't put it on the run sheet, but it looks like. Uh, Wellgo USA is doing the entire, uh, entire Phantasm Sphere Blu-ray collection with the full-scale replica of the original Sphere prop. Um, interestingly enough, I have the the old-school DVD one of the full-scale prop from England, which is somewhere in a storage unit, but uh, it's super cool. You can put the little sharp ends on it. Uh, but this is a brand new collector's edition Blu-ray set. With that, I cannot wait. It it looks awesome. That the the artwork for this is insanely cool looking. So uh, this it will be a 4K restoration of Phantasm stuff and contain all the movies and all the uh, all the the extras and there will be two variants of the cases one is a black marble the other a white marble uh and you can look those up online but they will be housed in the actual sphere which means they will not fit on your blu-ray shelf <laughs> well but it will still be cool are you in for this um i mean i'm pretty happy with uh, the versions that I have, which are all completely separated, the ones with the slip covers, so I don't have like a cool uh, collector's package. Um, but I did just get a display case uh, that's uh, kind of like uh, Saving Silverman when they got that Neil Diamond jacket and they turn the light on and a jacket spins. Uh, I got something like that uh, for my uh movie collectibles and so uh i do have the room for it but uh is it like really expensive i actually I don't, imagine yeah i haven't seen a uh i'm trying to look right now because it didn't tell me a price yet uh for i'm sure it, it's got to it, be somewhere around a hundred bucks at least yeah because it doesn't say it looks like it was coming out like closer to october 
Mm. So I'm I'm looking right now for it uh, for to see if there actually is a um, price, but I don't think there is yet. Probably not this early. Yeah, uh, just trying to get the interest out there. Um, yeah, um, yeah. I don't think I I probably won't because I do love the Phantasm films, but I don't love them that much. Not to spend a ton of money on them. Yeah. And then have somebody come over and be like, what's that? Phantasm. Oh, I don't know what that is. Okay, moving on. Yeah. Um, but I do like that first film. And I, I like the third film too. Yeah, it did, does not say how much it will be yet. So, But it looks like it will um, come out closer, closer to October. Or so, yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, I guess if you're really into the Phantasm films – and already have the cool collector's uh, editions. Might as well just go the whole uh, 10 yards now, I guess. Right, yeah, go the whole 10 yards. Would you, like, if it was, like, on sale for, like, 69 or 79 bucks, would that be more enticing? I don't know. Like, at this point, because uh, this is a sidebar moment, uh, I they just released uh, the Steelbook, 4K Steelbook editions of... Captain America Winter Soldier, Captain America Civil War, which are two of my very favorite out of the Marvel films. Um, and they're $35 a piece. And so at this point, I really have to, as anybody should who is married, have a conversation with your spouse saying, um, yeah, there's something that I really want to get. I know there's other things that we really desperately need to get, but you don't understand. If I don't get this now, it's going to be really expensive later. So uh, I'm already having those sorts of conversations. Um, so and those movies matter a little bit more to me than Phantasm. But um, yeah, I don't know. Even if it was that price, I probably wouldn't probably wouldn't get it. If it was like somewhere in the forty region, probably so. But there's no way they would do that because they wouldn't make a profit. There you go. Yeah, I agree. And <laughs> I'm glad you're getting your Marvel Steel books out of the way. Yeah. I got I got all the ones that have released thus far, so I got to got to keep it going. I got to at least have all the Captain America films. There you go. Very cool. Uh speaking of other home video releases, uh the first movie I saw this year, The Prodigy horror film, yeah. is coming out on Blu-ray and I believe 4K. I'm excited about this. I I, I want to see it again. I hope there's some good extras or deleted scenes here. Yeah, uh, I surprisingly just was, or I just I was genuinely surprised by that film. I uh, really enjoyed it. I think we talked about it on here, and so, um, uh, interestingly enough, one of my writers, uh, Courtney Howard, uh, who also writes for Variety, she has the quote on the cover. Nice. It says unnerving horror. Very. So cool. I'm very very excited for her um but yeah um yeah i enjoyed that film so i'm i i'm i'm down to watch it again own it i don't think it is on 4k i think it's just blu-ray for now but it should go to 4k i agree i think it should so that's coming out uh very fun movie finally coming to blu-ray in the u.s Park Chan-wook's Thirst. If you don't know who Park Chan-wook is, holy God, you you probably know without knowing. Uh, Park Chan-wook did Old Boy, the original Old Boy movie. He did the recent Handmaiden movie. He's done a lot of really cool movies. Is it, I'm right with that, right? Those two movies? Yeah. 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 So uh, if you've never seen his movie Thirst, it is his 
Uh, it is his vampire movie, which is super cool. I saw it a long time ago, back I think ten years ago when it came out. Um, so it's finally coming to Blu-ray in the U.S. in June. Uh, have you seen this, Preston? Uh, uh, yeah, I've seen the movie. Uh, who's distributing it? Uh, who is I think Kino Lober. Okay, cool. So they they're pretty pretty decent with their. So I imagine they're probably going to do go all out on this one and do something like they did with Deep Rising, where it has like a slipcover and everything. Yes, yes. Cool. <laughs> it, cool, folks. If you can hear Preston's inner workings, he's like, "Oh God, slipcovers." <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I do love all the releases. They look really cool on the shelf with uh, yeah. having. There's at least a consistency there that all the the text all matches same with all my twilight time films that i owned because they all just look very slick on the shelf um but man i sure love it when they have those slip covers yes you do do it for preston uh another one coming out which we talked about on this show preston enjoyed happy death day to you is coming to blu-ray uh, May 14th, very soon, will be out digitally, uh, April 30th, and it looks like uh, bonus features will include a gag reel, de- a deleted scene, the never-ending birthday, Web of Love, Tree's Nightmare, and the Multiverse 101, which will probably explain, you know, all the different well, universes in this movie as, you know, far as all the repeating goes and everything. So yeah, I, we'll see how this stacks up. You still haven't seen it, right? I still haven't seen it. Cool. So yeah. Probably. Make sure you uh, sign up to review that one. I will. Uh, also from, uh, was it, was it arrow video arrow? MVD? Mm-hmm. You got uh, scared stiff and terraformers. Which some old old horror there? Is there any others on that list uh, for June that looked good to you? Uh, Scared Stiff is the only one that I uh, that appealed to me, so that was the only one that I signed up for. And I had watched the trailer, and it just seems something like a Vinegar Syndrome film. Or uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I think I talked about, or maybe months ago, talked about uh, uh, was it birthday something birthday. Yeah, but um, has that kind of like trashy '80s, although I think it's a little bit older, um, kind of feel to it. And I'm into those, and so uh, that and I like the title. It's a good title, "Scared Stiff." Scared Stiff almost sounds like a porn, but <laughs> and another really cool, uh, really cool release coming out from Blue Underground in a huge three-disc special limited edition Blu-ray. Just like Fulci Zombie, we're getting Lucio Fulci's The New York Ripper. 4K restoration coming out in June with a ton of bonus features. I'm super excited about this. What about you? Yeah, I love it when uh, Blue Underground releases those uh, really big, thick uh, releases like they did with Maniac just recently and uh, Zombie, Fulci's Zombie. And so, uh, yeah. There's a lot of good horror to cut, look forward to. This, uh, I, it's going to be good stuff. Um, but yeah, that kind of wraps up our news section. Anything else you want to add, Preston? Uh, I don't. I don't believe so. I think that's it. Well, all righty then. Let's uh, let's move on to our bloody question. 
My Bloody Question, where um, we ask a question horror-wise, and we get to answer it for you. And then we bring it to Reddit, ask the good people of Reddit, read their answers, because it's pretty funny. Question, or I mean, question, Preston, the question. Preston, you had a good question uh, this week in relation to our feature presentation. Pet Cemetery. what was it? The question is, if you could bring back a deceased character back from a movie, who would it be and what carnage would they bring to the world as a soulless deadite? <laughs> I couldn't think of another way to kind of uh, d- describe like what they would be after death uh, other than like a zombie. But I just – I don't know. It feels like Pet Cemetery like operates in its own little world even though I've seen people describe uh, when – people come back from the dead in, in those films that they're zombies. But uh, I don't know. I just was thinking more of like Ash versus evil dead or uh, evil dead and that whole thing. So, okay. Um, shall I uh, pick mine? Because I think yours uh, will really bring down the house. <laughs> sure. Uh, I, 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 but before, uh, beforehand, beforehand, when I told you mine, <laughs> did you like laugh out loud? Oh, oh, of course I did. <laughs> okay. And for how fast it was, it was like it had been on the edge of your mind for many, many years. <laughs> Great. Okay. So uh, sucks for me because I told you that I had two in mind, and I freaking forgot my best one. I've oh, been no, about you it forgot it? About... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it sucks. Um, maybe somebody from Reddit will uh, jog my memory or say something similar because there's just so it's a it's a fun question because there's just so many possibilities. And uh, of course, I'm not focusing entirely on the horror genre. We're, we're extending this across all genres, uh, and the fun ones are like dramas because uh, kind of like the question that we asked a couple of weeks ago about. Uh, romantic dramas or romantic comedies having a horror twist. Um, there's just so many possibilities. So um, the one that kind of popped up into my mind that I put on the back burner, but I guess I'm putting on the front right now is uh, Leo from not Titanic. <laughs> um, even though there is a great uh, fake trailer for Titanic two out there uh, <laughs> is Leo and the departed. So when he gets shot in the head, spoiler alert, I uh, hope you've seen The Departed. It's been out for over 10 years. Uh, he gets shot on the elevator. It's a big surprise. It's one of the most shocking deaths uh, of all time to me. And so, uh, so much so that we always, uh, when we go to the film festivals like South by Southwest, we take elevators uh, to places. And so me, James Cole Clay, and, and my friend Chance Maggard will uh step aside and won't be in case we get shot in the head. But, uh, that death always, uh, stuck, uh, stuck to me. And so I would like to see him come back from the dead and then haunt. Uh, I mean, there's so many characters that he could have haunted. He could have, uh, beat, uh, Mark Wahlberg to, uh, Matt Damon's death. And, uh, maybe even, and we wouldn't have that rat. Uh, in the scene, <laughs> so uh, that solves that problem. There you go. And then, the rat. Uh, and then uh, another question I always had about that film is whether Leo's character Billy Costigan 
was the father of the baby that Vera Farmiga has. And so um, there's just so much that you can do with that, with him haunting her character, stalking her character. Is that my baby? Or like whatever. I don't know. Uh, so that that's kind of like where I'd like to see uh, like the Departed sequel go to. And uh, the title's already fitting. The it departed, is the, de- so the departed, departed, the walking departed. The I don't walking know. Departed the because you could also have you know Matt Damon and um, Martin Sheen come back as well. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there'd Mark be Wahlberg. less of Martin Sheen because he was just a uh, road splatter. Yeah, um, that'd be a cool, cool zombie look right there. I like it. I I, I enjoy that. That would be pretty awesome. He w- it would scare what's his name? Oh my god! Oh, because they all pretty much die in that elevator scene, minus Matt Damon. Yeah, oh. three people get shot right there. Uh, Anthony Anderson's character, and then ultimately uh, James Badgedale's character. <laughs> <laughs> so, so if they all just like woke up and then scared the shit out of Matt Damon because he's thinking that he's uh, got away clean. No, nope. there you go. There you go. So, oh, uh, before you answer yours, uh, I did ask uh, James Cole Clay what what he would he what he would pick, and he picked Dobby from the Harry Potter series. Oh yeah, like, to I see him come Dobby back. Died. <laughs> and so I made a joke uh, saying because he always says uh, Dobby means no harm. He'd be like Dobby, fuck it. Dobby means all the harm. <laughs> That's what we need—a magical wizard zombie elf. <laughs> yeah. we, we need a horror film set in the the Potter universe because God knows that would be way more interesting than what they're doing right now. No, yes, thank you. Fuck, <laughs> it really would. Because there's a horrific moments in the universe, like the, the spiders and the sea dragon yeah. and all that shit's scary. Yeah, like what the hell's going on on uh, that that dark side of Diagon Alley, whatever it's called in the second one. Right, right. No, I agree. I agree. It's better than the crimes of Grindelwald or whatever that is. Yeah. But that's another show. Uh, so Preston asked me this same question, and I immediately had an answer. <laughs> and I just, I wish I was there to see Preston's face. <laughs> um, but he asked me the question, and I immediately said, Gilbert Grape's mother, no question. That's happening. <laughs> Gilbert Grape's mother. Yes, holy shit. Why not? Bring her back from the dead as a frontline soldier in an undead army. Uh, and have her kind of lead like the front line uh, in Gilbert Grape to just attack all the people that make fun of her in the movie. <laughs> uh, it, it, it would be like the end of... Uh... Jay and Silent Bob strike back when they get revenge on all those people, the shitty comments they get on the internet. <laughs> yes. It's just her going from house to house in the town. I li- uh, Yes, yes. Uh, I also thought that she would be awesome in a sequel movie to Dead Snow and Dead Snow 3. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, that was my, um, that was definitely my pick. Bring Gilbert Grape's mother back. And we both had a Leo reference without knowing it, really. Yeah. <laughs> Leo, Leo, 
Uh, oh my goodness, that's amazing. Gilbert Grape's mother, please let us know what you think by emailing us at mybloodypodcast at gmail.com. Let us know we'd like to hear your thoughts, but let's move it to uh, the, the Reddit users and see what they had to say, right? Yes, please. Please tell me they delivered. <laughs> they did for the most part. We got we got a little more than last week. We got about twenty comments uh, on this one. So it could have happened to you," said Macaulay Culkin's character from The Good Son to avenge mm-hmm. family members that let him go. <laughs> Which I thought, holy shit! <laughs> good good wording there. <laughs> yes. Uh, he put it in quotations, let him go, but I thought, like, God damn, that's actually a really good idea. Yeah, that, that's a movie that I think about all the time, because it's probably like the worst horror imaginable as a, as a, as a parent. It, so, Which, it, it is, because it looks like they're actually a great family, but how they kind of... How they did that movie. We we have to talk about the good son at some point on this podcast. Yes, please. Uh, but shortly, like we never know why he's an evil fuck. <laughs> like it's just that he is chemical imbalance or something. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's like and it just slowly becomes like even worse and worse. And then you know, I remember seeing it when it came out in theaters, and I just thought like, well, I mean, there's no question this kid is an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, you shoot a dog, you throw something in traffic. You're yeah, you fucking deserve to die. Yeah, it's it's crazy. So there's yeah. nothing of him left, though. No, there's I, not. I mean, we don't know. I, don't, he, I mean, he could have straight up just landed on a rock, or maybe he lived. I don't know. Yeah, well, I if I remember correctly, he landed on the rock, and then oh the, yeah, the right. waves came, shot. and then rushed his body out into the ocean. But I mean, that's basically where the movie ends, too. Um, but I just thought that was a great idea. Thank you. It could have happened to you. Yeah. Um, throw, Rattles- throw Macaulay Culkin down there, not the ring. Yeah. Not- <laughs> yes. Uh, Rattlesnake Undies. Uh, Rattlesnake underscore Undies, I should say, had an interesting one. Uh, he said, Jesus. He'd be the ultimate necromancer. End times, friendos. Basically, king of the White Walkers. But you kill, but you kill him, and he has a three-day respawn timer. So basically, invincible. <laughs> Arm of like, fucking Geddon. And before you cry foul, our boy Jesus Christ has been in plenty of films from Mel Gibson to soul witheringly filthy pornography of the basis character. <laughs> good lord. <laughs> I read that verbatim, by the way. (laughs) Uh, Man, uh, that makes me think of that uh, SNL skit that they had with uh, Christoph Waltz when they did Django Unchained and he did (laughs) uh, Jesus Uncrossed. (laughs) Jesus H. Christ, the H is silent. The H is silent. Oh, it's a pretty good one. It's pretty funny. Um... N7 is life, said Stannis Baratheon from Game of Thrones to claim what is rightfully his. There that is. Yeah, I I honestly have never watched any of Game of Thrones. Oh my god, dude! (laughs) That's not the first time I've heard that response. (laughs) Okay. You would love it, I'm just saying. Um, Okay. Let's see. How do I? I live in Devil Town. Says Shelley from Friday the Thirteenth 3D. I'd like to see him try to get his mask back. 
So there that is. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, we've I mean we plowed through all the Friday the 13th not too long ago. So uh they all kind of bleed into each other and so I can't I was like Shelly, I don't even remember Shelly. But uh yeah, maybe I have to revisit just to see. Um SUW888 said I'd resurrect Nick's from Lord of Illusions and help him murder the world. I'd assist <laughs> him in creating social media accounts to attract an army of followers into his cult and build up his ent- his empire of suffering to new heights. Holy shit. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> there you go. Uh patch Patch Earl Patch in Real Life 11 uh says Whistler from Blade and that's all they said. Which, okay. Uh, Which one's Whistler? Chris Christopherson, his, uh, the old ah, guy yeah, that yeah, helps yeah. him. I'm in. Yeah. Doing my best today had a sad one. <laughs> old Yeller, because he didn't deserve to die. <laughs> <laughs> now, now I'm thinking like the, the brother from Walk Hard. <laughs> the wrong kid that died. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's funny. Uh, Rippin' Headaches said, Gustav Graves from the James Bond movie Die Another Day so he can make James Bond suffer by making him parasurf tsunami waves for his entire life. Um, Bat on Web. If you can't beat him, uh, if you can't beat him the first time, maybe you'll get him the second time. There you go. Uh, Spider-Man, or Bat on Web says, Spider-Man or Superman, and then... He likes signals, and he points to Marvel Zombies and DC's Blackest Night, which is the zombie universe mm. in DC. So there you go. Uh, Anna Comic said, uh, I may be bad, but I feel good, which is the evil villainess in Army of Darkness. And she would said she would come back and then screw Ash to death. <laughs> So there that is. Uh, Endo's Crazy said, maybe a slightly different take, but I'd like to see how pissed Joe Pesci would be in Goodfellas after they whacked him when he thought he was being made. Love that movie, and he was pretty frightening in it. <laughs> yeah, I can only imagine. That was uh, would be amazing. I would love to see a zombie Joe Pesci wreak havoc inside the mafia. <laughs> And then Xanthius finally said the Joker, Jack Nicholson style. Uh, he didn't really elaborate, but those are pretty good answers, I think, this time. Yeah. Pretty good. I was hoping for some more, like, off-the-wall drama stuff. Um, like, just you picking uh, What's Eating Gilbert Grape. Like, I was just thinking of, like, what is the, like, one of the most beloved dramas out there, like The Notebook or something like that. I don't know. There's just, like, so many, like, <laughs> fucked up directions you can take some of these films in no there is i mean i i actually thought old yeller would be amazing yeah <laughs> uh <laughs> there's some pretty good ones uh but yeah let us know thank you to all the reddit uh people for getting up on this we love reading them and thank you so much uh but now on to my bloody recommendations where we each recommend a horror film New, old, vintage, lost, uh, mainstream. We just want you to watch it again or watch it for the first time because I think you would enjoy it. So, Preston, what got you? Um, I went to uh, Half Price Books not too long ago, and I found this movie on the shelf, and it's a hard one to find, uh, surprisingly. It was one that... uh, 
I saw back in 2007 when it came out because a local film critic at the time for the paper that I write for, Denton Record Chronicle, his name is Boo Allen. He occasionally still writes for us. Um, He recommended this movie, gave it three out of five stars, which doesn't seem uh, like a a great rating. But knowing him, who uh, I swear he gave so many negative reviews, I didn't think he liked something. So when something like that popped up, a three-star film, I was like, oh, shit, I got to go see this then. Um, It is uh, 2007's Hannibal Rising. Um, I, I have a complicated relationship with this film because it it's like nowadays when i revisit it it's more of an annoyance because it kind of provides answers for things that didn't really need kind of like solo like you just didn't need all that information yeah but at the same time if i just treat it as a separate property like a lot of people do with silence of the lamps like all the films in there because i i enjoy i i like red dragon I like Hannibal, but I treat them all kind of like separately. I, I maybe connect uh, Red Dragon more so with uh, Silence of the Lambs because I think that that's probably the best one out of all of them. I mean, uh, best one next to Silence of the Lamb. Um, and so, but I think it has some really good uh, death scenes in the film. And I like kind of getting more into his uh like what spawned all this hate in him and caused him to want to be a cannibal because uh it's an interesting thing but you know at the same time uh it is more interesting to me that that mystery is there but uh like i said i just really enjoy the the kill sequences that they have in the film and uh the atmosphere of it and so it's kind of like uh Inglorious Bastards meets Batman Begins. Um, so the the story kind of involves uh, his family, the the Lecter family, being uh, there's uh, the Third Reich is coming through the area, and so they clear out, and then it comes to a point where uh, when the kids, because she he has a sister, and they get captured. And then it comes to a point where the soldiers are starving and they need to eat. And like uh, Rise Eye Fans' character in the film, he straight up eats a bird, like a raw bird with the feathers. And it's a creepy imagery. And uh, to kind of see that that's what spawned it. So it becomes like a revenge tale for Hannibal Lecter to kill all these Nazis and eat them. Which so is what exactly you want to do, really. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, it's it's kind of like uh, it reminded me a lot of that film uh, that I recommended uh, many, many moons ago. Um, uh, that one on uh, my my friend. Uh, ah, shit. Do you know what I'm talking about? The, the uh, my. My friend uh, Dahmer. My friend. Dahmer. Oh Jesus. yeah. Okay. Yes. Yes. So it reminds me of that, like kind of getting into his uh, psychology a little bit more, and instead of just getting like the analysis part, like we're just getting getting it firsthand. So I don't know. I think it's still a pretty interesting film. Um, so if you haven't seen it at all, like you should try to find it. Uh, it might be a little difficult to find, but it was one that I enjoyed a lot when it came out. And I still think it holds up pretty well. So 
Nice. Hannibal Rising. Yeah, I like all the Hannibal movies, and then I remember when Hannibal Rising came out, and you know, it's I, I even watched the show, so that's a that's a good recommendation, good sir. Yeah, it just felt like one that's uh, been collecting dust for a while. Need to blow it off. There you go. There you go. Uh, my bloody recommendation. Um, I put it in line again with our feature presentation, Pet Cemetery. This one's called Animal. Oh, damn, I thought you were going to pick a uh, pet graveyard. Pet graveyard. Freaking out. <laughs> uh, Animal. Uh, this movie is from uh, it's from just a few years ago, really. I believe 2015. Uh, the movie isn't like anything game changing, but there's a lot of cool things to enjoy about this uh, movie called Animal, which is on Blu-ray. Uh, and all that good stuff at the moment still. But uh, the the movie, the poster for the movie basically shows the title Animal and then the actual monster itself. You know, a lot of these movies kind of uh, take you, keep you in the dark for about 30 to 45 minutes before getting a glimpse of whatever monster they throw at you, but that's not the case with this. Uh, it is like straight on, full frontal, all the time, and which is pretty cool. It's a low-budget movie, but uh, we'll get to that in a second, but this movie was produced by Drew Barrymore, Joey Lauren Adams is in the movie. Uh, it's 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 pretty cool. It's uh, and it, you but you've seen this story before. Um, this movie it, it's not anything different or original in it, but it's still fun. Animal kind of centers on a group of five co-ed teens who decide to have a long weekend trip together, and of course, instead of going to like a fun city or a beach, they head to the deep dark woods to a cabin. For a little rest and relaxation. And if you've ever seen any horror movie in this setting, you know that doesn't go quite to plan. Uh, with their luck, there is a hideous monster living in those woods whose sole purpose is to eat and brutally kill anything or anyone that happens to be in the woods. And that, my friends, is actually the story of Animal. There's really nothing more to it. But uh, it's, a, it's a fun film. The director, Brett Simmons, who did The Monkey's Paw, uh, he really didn't keep anything fresh again here. He just kind of just like got to the killing, and that's all it is. But what's cool about this is that there's no CGI in this movie. This monster was built from scratch and uh, looks actually quite cool. And if you're into gore, the blood and guts are everywhere. And will be up to your standards. Um, again, it's a fun movie you should watch. It's if you're into that gory, fun, horror, silly movie with real practical monster effects, this is it. Do it. Uh, I'm cool. It, it's a fun movie. I don't think you will like. Oh, that was an excellent horror film. No, no, you're not going to say that. But you're, it's still worth your time. Give it a shot on one of those streaming services. Uh, and if you actually buy it, because I'm sure it's. Uh, it's like it's about ten bucks right now. You get audio commentary, behind the scenes stuff, interviews, all that stuff. So, uh, animal, you'll you'll see it because you'll see the title of the film and a giant monster on the cover roaring. So yeah, yeah. Don't <laughs> confuse it with uh, Rob Schneider. <laughs> Rob Schneider is the animal. So yes, yeah, not that movie at all. But that is my bloody recommendations, Hannibal Uprising and Animal. 
Now we're on to our feature presentation, the 1989 film Pet Cemetery, which uh, we both watched last night to reinvigorate ourselves into the Stephen King goodness. Uh, it is um, it is a it is a still a highly good film uh, directed by Mary Lambert. Who um, did Pet Cemetery One, Pet Cemetery Two, uh, amongst other horror films? It was based on the Stephen King screenplay, which he has a little cameo in there. The film was released April twenty first, nineteen eighty nine, which is just around the corner from here. It ran one hundred and three minutes long. And it was on a budget of $11 million and made $60 million. Not too bad in starred Dale Midkiff, Fred Gwynn, Denise Crosby, Meek, a young Miko Hughes' first film in Blaze Birdall. We'll get to that all very shortly. But uh, that is Pet Cemetery stats there for you, the statistics. But since we've all seen this film before and we're kind of revisiting it you know, right now, Preston, yeah, what was our what did we have expectations going into like revisiting it? Like, did we hope that it ho- held up? Did we hope like, oh, this is going to be terrible? But what do you think? Yeah, because I remember when we first started talking about um, the Pet Cemetery, like the new one, that when the trailer came out, we were commenting on it and uh, being uneasy about it or feeling uneasy about it. Um, it had been a long, long time since I've seen Pet Cemetery, so I watched it um, before I saw the new one a couple of weeks ago in South by. I uh, managed to find like a because they they have they have released the film previously on Blu-ray, and so I got that for like nine dollars, and so I watched it, and then since then I've watched it again after seeing the new one and uh, listening to the book on audio tape. Um, and so it, 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 even within a couple of weeks, it felt like it was going to be fresh to me again. Um, so uh, that my expectations were pretty high kind of revisiting it the first time. And so I enjoyed it the first time and I still enjoy it now. But after seeing the new one and I mentioned last week, uh, it's going to be hard like not to compare the two. Um, and even kind of uh, since I've been reading the book of – compare it to that as well so i have a lot of uh a lot of pressure on this film (laughs) and so um yeah watching again last night uh would you like to just kind of get my uh, brief thoughts before we get into the nitty and gritty of it all yeah because i mean i was i was expecting actually no once you once you say what your expectations were my expectations coming back to it were like i remember liking this i remember there were some scary moments to it and my expectations were like, I think it's going to be outdated and not great. Like, I'm going to not enjoy this. But after I watched it, I was like, oh, it still holds up for the most part. Like, back then in the 80s, uh, they really didn't do – they really didn't perfect the jump scare back then. Yeah. So there's a lot of, like, crescendo – music crescendos and stuff like that where today it would be like – super dynamic and you know very atmospheric where you would jump out of your seat so i'd imagine perhaps when we talk about the new one that's probably there better but in here it's kind of like oh i could see where this would be a great jump scare but still like the effects 
uh, the, the practical effects and like the um, the overall horror of it is actually still pretty good. So those were my expectations of it. But yes, Preston, let's hear what you what you thought about it. Yeah, so I have a lot on my mind. Um, so <laughs> I think uh, to kind of narrow it uh, before we get into it is um, I still think it also holds up pretty well. I, I think the ending, like the last third of the film, is the best part of it to me, um, just because that's where all the, the horror unfolds. But even how uh, Mary Lambert directs a lot of that and the use of like gauge at the end, because you know, this movie has been out for 30 years. Hope you've seen it. Uh, spoilers. Um, so, uh, we, you know, we, we know that gauge gets hit by the semi truck and then comes back from the dead. And, uh, just, just his voice and the things that he says is so creepy. Cause it's creepy. Like kids can be creepy if you put it in that horror context. And so, uh, all that worked really, really well to me. I think that Mary Lambert is a better atmospheric, like what you were saying. Uh, I would say that she's a better atmospheric uh, kind of horror director uh, compared to uh, the new guys that are doing the the new Pet Cemetery. Because if I if I hold them up to each other, I think that this one uh, has the power to kind of creep me out more so and uh, have more lasting effects. While I think the new one is just awesome the direction that they take it in. Um, so, um, and the first half of the film, uh, doesn't quite work well enough for me because, you know, I mentioned that I've been reading the book and, um, I said last week that I was so shocked and surprised by like just how good uh, Stephen King is at turning a phrase and kind of just really putting me inside uh, all the characters' minds and what they're going through, all that turmoil, inner turmoil. And so, um, on the in the Pet Cemetery commentary uh, for the you know the 1989 version, Mary Lambert talks about the the reason why she likes the story so much is because it it's it's just a invitation into uh, all these characters' lives. Like, you're really getting inside the skin of every person. And so the most of the focus is, of course, on Lewis's character, or Lewis. And so uh, just how he, Stephen King kind of explains uh, his every thought and everything, like what he's thinking at all times, um, how he's going to talk to his children about death, uh, what's in the afterlife, all these different things are just endlessly fascinating. And so I feel like, uh, between the two films, um, that it's translated a little bit better in the new one. And in this one, revisiting it, it kind of lets me down because I feel like the characters aren't super well drawn. Um, like everything just kind of happens very quickly. Uh, we, you know, we, we get to the house, you know, it, it just seems like it's, uh, looking at the, the, even though Stephen King wrote it, I, it, it's strange to me that he would cut out so much of the best stuff, but like, how can you really capture that? Because you would have to bring in like narration and stuff like that. Like, uh, 
a stream of consciousness approach. And, you know, of course, you don't want to kind of take that a, a approach all the time. It, it works in some cases, in some other cases it doesn't. And so if you don't want to distract, because it's like it's hard to navigate that because uh, it could throw off the tone so easily if uh, and it would uh, short uh I guess uh, it would break the impact of a horror scene if you were having the scary moment and then you were breaking into his thoughts. But uh, and they found like in the new one, uh, not to kind of get into it too much, because we're probably going to talk a little bit more about it next week. Um, it uh, you'll notice like some of the thoughts that are that Lewis has is put into other characters mouths or is. And they comment on him and what he may be thinking. And so I find that fascinating. Um, so, yeah, to me, the first half of the film doesn't quite work well. Like, I don't uh, feel that the characters are very well drawn. Um, but I feel that the horror is handled very well um, uh, throughout the film. Because uh, it's it, it's it really is creepy. Uh, it's more creepy than it is like shocking and, and jump scares, like you said. And I think that's what the the new guys that do the the 2019 version are, are better at. Because there's and we'll talk about those next week. Um, it's just a different type of horror. And so I yeah I, I think just I, overall it's just very surprised that how well some of the horror scenes uh, work. Um, in this uh, 1989 version. Nice. Yeah. The, I, I agree. I think, um, the, the horror in this film is still highly effective today because like Preston said, you know, I, I think it has a lot of realistic, you know, expectations of what, or outcomes, you know, of what people might do put in this situation such as you know like your young two and a half three-year-old son being run down and there's like oh i can bring him back to life fuck yeah i'll do it and then you just yeah. go kind of like insane with these notions that it's all gonna work out but then it like completely doesn't um yeah uh uh fred gwynn uh herman munster who plays uh judd uh, Judd Crandall, their, their neighbor. Uh, he's a great Judd Crandall. I think I mentioned that last week that, um, he, he, they focus more on Judd in this movie more. So he has more of a purpose here. Uh, there's, there's a complete different direction in the new pet cemetery. Um, so the, the dynamic between the neighbors, uh, those two neighbors is, is pretty good in this one. And, you know, whenever we see um, Gage get killed and then uh, they're dealing with the after effects of that. So uh, every night, uh, Lewis and Judd uh, kind of drink beers together and just kind of enjoy each other's time, because that's the whole reason uh, why the Creed family kind of moves out to the countryside is to kind of escape uh the, the city life uh, and how stressful and chaotic it can be. But, you know, um, there's still chaos and there's still darkness that lurks in the shadows no matter where you go. And I think that's an interesting commentary from the film. And so, uh, the, yeah, like I was saying, with the relationship between uh, Judd and Lewis, like there's a scene where 
Fred is, and it's probably one of the best like dramatic scenes in the film is when he's essentially crying to Lewis because uh, he feels responsible for Gage's death for introducing Lewis to um, the the Micmac uh, graveyard, which is the area beyond the pet cemetery that has the power to bring uh, uh, people and animals back from the dead, anything back from the dead. And so it's almost like a it follows kind of thing where you feel like you you have to kind of just get or or the ring where you just have to kind of get rid of it like you have to share it in a way because it's such a fascinating thing but there's consequences to it and uh the they illustrate that very well in this uh, 1989 film um because they're showing that lewis is drawn to it like we we get into his head uh how he feels uh after they bring uh, Church, the cat, back to life, uh, and they bring Gage back next, like he he feels like he has to do it, even though uh, in the book they talk about like how he has he second guesses himself or he questions whether his logic sometimes uh, if he should even go down that route because in in the book uh, Norma, which is uh, Judd's wife, uh, she's alive. And she dies later in the in, in the story, and and in the 1989 film, they uh, bring another character from the book who's like so super minor. Her name is Mrs. Dandridge, and in the 1989 film, she hangs herself. If you remember her character, she she complains about her stomach hurting. Right, um, right, yeah, they, they have which is essentially be. like. Uh, you know, she's dying from cancer, so she's going to just kind of beat the beat death to it. Um, and so she's just like a, a, a character that's just kind of created to kind of like fill in that void of Norma not being in this movie. And I always find that very puzzling that they did that. And um, and then in the new one, uh, she's she's not in the picture at all. She's already been dead. Um, so it's just kind of fascinating to kind of see like what different uh, directions that they take it, uh, take it in. I think overall, like there's things just to kind of talk about it in full picture. And of course we'll talk about more about it next week after Brian's seen it. Um, there's just things that work really well in each of them. I think there's, like I've mentioned the horror, uh, s- stuff with Judd works really well in this 1989 version, but we're missing in both of the both of the films that in like a lot of people uh, criticize uh, adaptations for is not having uh, that connection with the characters because you're spending so much time with them. And that's a problem that we kind of have this is a big, big discussion to have. But, um, you know, when we have series or uh, miniseries or whatever it is and we uh, spend so much time with the characters we connect with them and uh i feel that we have that i feel that i have that sort of connection with the characters with the book but you don't necessarily get that because you're not sp- it's a two-hour film or an hour and a half long film and so you're not getting that but then there's uh changes that they make in the new one that makes sense like it it, it, it makes it uh, they focus more on the drama and the bigger part, uh, or they focus a lot more on the family and what they may be dealing with. And so, yeah, all of them, they have their pluses and minuses. 
but if I had to pick one that I between the two films that uh, I would pick the new one, I feel like it uh, illustrates things a lot better. And it has nothing to do with uh, the datedness of this film because you can watch like the early half of the film and it has that kind of like late eighties, early nineties kind of like uh, Beethoven type music, you know, where it's just like, everybody's having a good time. Um, <laughs> and it, it just has that kind of twinkle to it and it doesn't quite work well, but yeah, everything that's related to the horror, how they shoot the graveyard or the cemetery itself, like, cause they show it very early on in the 1989 version is, uh, pretty, pretty well done. And it looks really good in 4k. Um, all the colors, uh, really pop and, um, uh, they handle the darkness very well, especially when they show, uh, Pascal, who's this character early on in the film who is a jogger who gets hit by a bus and is pretty much uh like the ghost the friendly ghost in in a way that uh, tries to warn lewis uh about uh pet cemetery um is uh handled very well um so yeah i i think it holds up pretty well for the most part there's still some things that don't quite work well but um, they both adaptations work pretty well on their own. If you, um, so yeah, I'm excited to get into it next week when we can, uh, hopefully talk about this more and I can not hold back one bit and just, uh, not have to bite my lip here. And I can just, uh, hope, I hope that you enjoy it, Brian. I really do. And so we can, uh, just have a good time. Yeah, I hope so too, because, you know, this film still is very good, and I really hope that they, you know, keep in a lot of the aspects from this film into the new one. So, you know, there's a lot of things I really enjoyed about this. I like the subtlety, or not subtlety, but like kind of like a slower pace of how everything happens. Because, you know, like when we say Gage dies, that doesn't happen, you know, early on in at least the 1989 version. You kind of get to spend time with them and uh, stuff like that. And he's a cute kid in the 1989 version for sure. You don't want to see him go. But there's always something off about Lewis. Like, he's, like, not paying attention. He just seems to, like, blankly stare, even though he's a doctor. It gets, it's interesting, but... The practical effects are still excellent here. They're uh, and how how just how they do it. Like even with the one of the scarier characters of the film, uh, Zelda. I mean, still watching her years later after it gave me nightmares a long time ago is not as effective because I know it's coming. But like to somebody who's never seen that before, and I still like get visions of her in my head and just how that theatrical actress who played Zelda was able to contort her body and the, all the makeup. The man? Yeah, the man. That's what I meant. The man that played her. Uh, it's just, it's so good and still effective. So, and, I'm, and she has, a, and she has a really good laugh. Right. Correct. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's just like every kid's worst nightmare. I think when you're that young and, uh, oh yeah, it's, it's kind of terrifying, but yeah, it's still, I really still enjoy the movie. I think I liked where it went and I really liked how they ended it because 
there are, it's been talked about that there was an original ending to it, but they went back and they did the ending that we see now where, you know, his wife comes back and all disfigured and bloodied, but he doesn't care. And he kisses her and she lifts up the knife cut to black and you hear him scream. Uh, I mean, I still think that's effective and still kind of like a fun, you know, like a, like a fun ending, you know, like something like, ah, <laughs> yes. Okay. You know, it's not all yeah. sour and dour and Oh, everything sucks. It's just kind of, yeah. Like, oh. It's, it's one of those eighties films that like ends in such a way where you're like, Oh fuck. And not <laughs> like, uh, something like a basket case or something like that, where like some horror films, they just kind of end very abruptly. Right. And you're like, Hmm, interesting, but, uh, okay. Um, yeah, I, I, I think, uh, kind of going back to what you're saying about the practical, practical effects, like even how they handle gauge in this one. Cause you can tell that it's a doll at sometimes. Um, when when the, cuz they can't get that kid who's like 3 years old to uh i just it would traumatize the kid if they cuz it's already like i can only imagine what he might have thought when they were directing the uh miko or whatever his name is to bite uh judd's neck right here right okay? like and then we're going to put a dress on you and then you're going to look right at the camera you're going you're really going to creep him out holding a knife there's like there's a lot of scary imagery and it just heightens the horror of the entire film like I mentioned earlier to have a small child do all that shit uh, is insane. It is, it is. And I would imagine because I've heard a lot we've both heard a lot of commentaries on horror movies and I would imagine that as we see the camera cut to little Gage's hand with the scalpel, I just think that had to be somebody else's hand just because I'd imagine the parents were like, yeah, we don't want him to hold the knife or show it in a stabbing motion, but maybe the, the outfit, the dress, or maybe him just like, Oh yeah, we're going to put like some sweet chocolate syrup and, you know, sweet yeah. red food coloring and just go and act like you're going to kiss them down on the, on the neck, you know? Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I mean, but like when you do it, just like have your eyes wide, you know, I just think because like <clears throat> he, it, it, they really edit it in a very creepy and scary way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I imagine it was pre- pretty fun to figure out. It made me think as you were explaining all that made me think of when uh, we saw the witch at fantastic fest and they have kids in that film, very annoying kids. And um, I just can't imagine what it had, would have, would, what it was like for those kids to kind of be in those uh, scary ass scenes in the in the witch. And so the director said that he's like, as far as they know, they thought that they were they were in a Disney film. <laughs> um, so I can only imagine that's probably what Mary Lambert did did here, just as you were describing, trying to make it fun and exciting for him, but but putting that horror context. Once you put music behind it darkness and uh add all the blood they, they probably didn't show them like the shots of uh because sh- you only see like the hand and things like that with stab emotions him getting uh sliced the hamstrings and uh sliced uh, mouth like the joker so all those sorts of things they probably just did not have them around but uh i wanted to shift gears to another thing that i thought is very effective about the film is uh so when gage dies um and Lewis is contemplating whether or not he's going to dig up his son because, uh, like I said, that I was very surprised about with this new one or, or, or the 1989 version is that uh, 
he feels drawn to it. Like he feels like he has to do it because he wants, he didn't get that closure with his son. So that opens up a whole door of conversations about death, uh, how we all kind of feel very empty inside when uh, somebody dies in our life. And it's a very, it's actually a kind of powerful scene when he goes and digs up his son, which is a horrible thing. You would never want to imagine doing something like that. But the way that the music kind of plays and he's like holding his son, it's a, uh, as a father myself who has a son around the same age, and I didn't think, uh, I was very uh, apprehensive about kind of diving down this uh, rabbit hole. Uh, but especially after Mother, I've talked about that uh, a couple of times on this podcast. How mother that affected broke me. Preston. <laughs> yes, it did. Um, so uh, I don't know, maybe I'm just kind of distancing myself a little bit more from films, uh, but I still like like scenes like that can still affect me and, and I, I connect with it. And so there's that moment. And then there's the scene where his, where Lewis has to kill his son because that's some, that's a conversation that he has with himself before, uh, before he decides to uh, bring his son back from the dead is um, I just want to bring him back. I'm going to say I'm like, I'm sorry um, and everything else and uh, have my, my moments with him. And then I can just put him back down like an animal. And uh, it sounds so easy to say something like that. But then when he has to do it, it's it's such a it's another level of horror. It's a horror that uh, it's 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 like the worst imaginable type of horror. Like I can't imagine being in that situation and then uh, euthanizing my my son, like sticking a shot in him to make him die again, because they do that with the cat. They do that with church. He kills church again and even that part's kind of scary but this moment even like how the the kid uh reacts to it where he's just like uh um and he's screaming in such a realistic way and then he he walks away and he's like that's not fair like that makes you want to kind of cry uh like that that horror is just so like something i never really want to imagine uh for myself and so that that part of the film is really effective to me it works on in a, in a different way because um, he just kind of it, it feels the most real it feels like you know when uh i'm gonna be another drop another spoiler here uh avengers uh infinity war i hope you've seen that so at the end of that film when peter parker dies and he's just like uh, uh i don't feel so good mr stark like that feels like a very uh, realistic reaction and so the fact that that kid is saying like that's not fair like some audiences may laugh at that, but then others they'd be like, damn, that just really strikes a chord with me. And in and, and the way that he just like slowly dies off. Um, so it, it's just amazing that, uh, you know, King can deal with a lot of the same themes in his works, but he finds like interesting ways to kind of shake them up and, and, and impact us in very uh, different ways. And I think that, um, that's why this material works so well and it deserves to have multiple adaptations and different visions for the story. So if you're, uh, apprehensive yourself about seeing the new one, because you enjoyed this one so much and you like Stephen King's book, uh, I like all of them. 
and I I like them all for different reasons, and uh, they all have different ways of affecting me, and so I th- I think that's uh, important to note. There you go. That is uh that is Pet Cemetery. We we still enjoy it, the nineteen eighty nine version and Preston enjoys the new one. I can't wait to see it next week. We can talk about it. And uh yeah, it's still a good movie and it's on four K uh and Blu ray for its thirtieth anniversary. Pick that up in stores. Steelbook too. Got that steelbook. <laughs> I need to have like a like a button that I can press every time you get excited about a steel book or a slip cover. It needs yeah, to... just just somebody can cut the audio all together and just be like, steel book, steel book, hell yeah. No, I um, was I was I wanted to say nerd. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Austin Powers, nerd alert. Nerd um, alert. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's uh the the regular cover for the 4K edition, which is also the same cover as the Blu-ray edition, is really pretty. It's really cool. Um, it just shows the the pet cemetery on the on the top half of the cover, and then the bottom it shows church kind of being a part of the graveyard itself, like being part of the ground. Um, and and uh, and then the uh, Steelbook edition, which Brian, I really you should go buy it. It's a very pretty copy to own. Um, uh, it's they're they're sold exclusively at Best Buy. Uh, Mondo made it, so it's got really cool cover art. Um, it plays around kind of with the same type of idea, but uh, it switches it around. It shows the cat up top, and it shows uh, uh, a lot of blue and yellow. And they work in uh, the the famous quote: "Sometimes dead is better." into it and so uh if you're a hardcore collector like i am uh that's money that i would spend on over the phantasm thing um and it's like 25 dollars uh i don't know how many are left at best buy but uh there's still some time get it <laughs> there you go <laughs> them steel books and before we go before we, we before we leave pet cemetery we got to mention if you can find the soundtrack i have the original soundtrack to pet cemetery because it has an amazing god we didn't even talk about the the ramones song <laughs> jesus it's the it's the ramones uh coming back together to do a song called pet cemetery <laughs> <laughs> for the it's movie a, it's a badass track it is it's, it's just as good to me as uh uh, he's back by Alice Cooper. Oh yes, from Friday the Thirteenth. But yeah, the Pet Cemetery song. I, I like I said, I have the original version, original soundtrack to it, and it is damn uh, really cool. Uh, I don't know if they've re-released the soundtrack recently. Um, it seems like something that Mondo's probably gonna get done. going on pretty soon. But yeah, you could probably look it up uh, anywhere online and check out the tune because it plays at the end during the credits, and you're just like, "Holy shit, that's the Ramones singing Pet Cemetery." <laughs> yeah, it's weird because the movie, you know, at that moment, it, it's uh, it's like you've gone through all these different emotions, and then they just drop a badass right. track on the end of it. But you know, for the time, that was a thing. Like Critters yeah. had a Critters rap, Monster Squad had a rap to it. You know, it was like that was the thing in the '80s is to have have a rap at the end of your horror movie <laughs> the movie was awesome we're gonna remind you yeah i mean i'm not taking ramones as a rap but i mean it's like punk music it's like an upbeat like 
Pet pet cemetery. <laughs> I'm never buried in a pet cemetery. Yeah, yeah it's, it's it's so good. But yes, uh, if you could find that online, Discogs or something like that, I'm sure you won't break the bank to get that one. But uh, yeah, pet cemetery, get that. Uh, be sure to check out Animal and Hannibal Uprising when you can. Our recommendations. Rising. Hannibal Rising, not Uprising. There was an Uprising. Confusing with Pacific Uprising. (laughs) Same movie, really. Hannibal Uprising, Pacific Uprising. Dracula Uprising. Dracula. Holy God, we need to do a marathon of Uprisings. Okay. So, uh, yes, we'll we'll be back next week, of course, uh, with more. I'm Brian Kluger. You can find me boomstickcomics.com. And HighDefDigest.com, where you can read all my Blu-ray and 4K reviews. Uh, Currently, right up on top of everything is the Dumbo review, which probably Disney will not invite me back to anything after writing that. You say that, but they keep inviting you. They do. I guess they like they like it. Um, They 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 believe in Thanos's philosophy: balance. Yeah, balance to the Force uh, or the Marvel Universe, whatever. And uh, High Def. Um, you can read the Mule 4K, which was good, and my upcoming high def gear reviews, such as well, I guess it's on now the new Optima uh, projector, and then soon to be coming some record players as well. But yeah, and then Preston can be found all over the internets. Where at? You can find me on Instagram at Preston Barta B A R T A, and also on Twitter under the same handle, uh, where I'm posting my thoughts every now and then and sharing cool recommendations physical copies you know like steelbooks i got the i've been experimenting with my camera a little bit more um so you can find a a shot that i took of my pet cemetery steelbook on there so wink wink um you can find my writing on dittonrc.com that's for ditton record chronicle Uh, i have quite a few reviews up this week did three of them for The Highwaymen. That's on Netflix. Uh, I think we talked about it uh, last week or the week before and uh, enjoyed that one. So that's on Netflix this weekend. So you can watch that if you're into historical stuff and Bonnie and Clyde. And then uh, a very horrifying film um, called uh, Hotel Mumbai. Um, it's, it's a realistic horror film. It's based on the 2008, uh, tragedy in Mumbai, the terrorist attack at the, at the Taj, uh, hotel. And it's got Dev Patel and Army Hammer in it. So, uh, also kind of deals with a lot of the similar themes as, uh, Pet Cemetery. Uh, a little more, na- uh, narrowed or a little more, fo- uh, focused in that, uh, you can relate to it like instantaneously, um, because you're putting yourself in the, in the character's shoes. And then oh, there was one more review that I did. Oh, Dumbo. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I also have a review up there. Uh, not a thousand words as Brian did, but uh, I got a good uh, half that. I, I did a, over 1,100 words, and I, I all of it is pure hatred for the movie. So if you want to laugh your ass off. <laughs> it's just the angry writer venting. Yes. Um. No, that's good. And uh, Preston... Oh, I'm on uh, FreshFiction.tv. Yeah, FreshFiction.tv. He's everywhere. Look him up. Uh, Also, we want to mention this on this show, uh, and I think Preston will take care of social media stuff about this, but we're going to give away Fear the Walking Dead Season 4 copy, Blu-ray, 
Preston, I'm sure, will make it happen on uh, on social media. But we would love you to go to um, the the iTunes podcast on iTunes, search in multimedia men and give it a review, give it a rating and we'll pick a winner on the most fun, best review. But hopefully that will work because we have, I have tons of horror movies to give away. So we're going to be doing this quite often, but is yeah, that sound- we have a, we have another, uh, so next week I, I will reveal what we're giving away. It's a, it's a bigger one. It's a big one. Just, just as much, but, um, yeah, I would say, yeah, go to our, uh, iTunes, leave a review, uh, just connect with me somewhere. You can connect with me on Twitter or Instagram or on our own Instagram at my bloody podcast, or you can, uh, email, shoot me an email, shoot us an email at my bloody podcast at gmail.com and just kind of let me know, uh, Hey, I left a review. Here's my email, and that's how we'll get in contact with you. Yeah, and we'd love you to. Sh- we would love you all to share our podcast with your friends uh, via any way you can online. So get the word out, and we'll put that into consideration when we uh, announce a winner for Fear of the Walking Dead season four Blu-ray, newly minted and wrapped in cellophane and plastic. It's amazing. We talked about it recently, but uh, yeah, we will be giving away many more movies very soon and uh, we'll be with you short next week. My bloody podcast. Uh, Thanks for joining Preston. You're are amazing. Yeah. Thank you.